Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. How are y'all doing? I'm your host, Colby Marie. It's so nice to have you here. You lovely Lindas, you tip-top Terras, you saluting Samuels, you bricked-faced Felicias. It's so nice to have you here. It is a lovely day here in the state of Colorado, in the city of Denver. I have successfully worn a t-shirt to the park at about 7.30 in the morning when I take Lily over to the park for our morning exercise. <clears throat> and it has been, it's been really nice just to feel the sun on your body, the season changing, everything is so green here right now. This is the beautiful two weeks in Colorado where you get the vibrant greens that exist kind of year round in the Midwest, maybe the South. But uh, the heat's coming, it will be here. It will dry up this state, and hopefully it won't be that, that bad a year with wild wildfires. Um, I know New Mexico is getting ravaged right now by early season wildfires, so it's not super promising, but uh, I'll keep you all updated wherever you are in the world, what's going on here. But yeah, it's just a lovely morning today. Got up, I a uh, bit of a weird night's sleep, but uh, got up, <clears throat> had a nice meditation, went over to the park. I've been uh, getting to know this this new guy who just moved here, just started bringing his dog to the park in the mornings. I'm not totally sure. We don't know each other that well. It's a it's a journey. It's an adventure. Getting to know another human. But anyhow, this morning we were talking about uh, I don't know how it came up, but we talked about we're talking about art. It's Friday the 13th today, and uh, that's a big day in tattoo shops. If you don't know most tattoo shops usually have deals if you're looking to get tattooed Friday the 13th is a good way to go in and uh, get a cheaper tattoo it's a it's a fun day in tattoo shops it's a fun day to hang out with artists get something spooky get something silly I've always kind of wanted a, a Jason Voorhees tattoo I used to draw this thing on the board for my students every year on Friday the 13th uh, of Jason holding some balloons looking a little sad like he was tired of chasing those kids through the campsites and the camp uh, grounds trying to avenge his own murder uh, poor Jason Jason Voorhees I hope you find some peace um, but yeah we we're having this really lovely chat and somehow we got into conversation about art and artists and uh, talked about getting to go to some of the bigger museums in Rome and Italy and uh, Paris, of course, and the Lou. 
Oh, I know how it started. We were talking about there's this Banksy ex exhibit, <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Banksy. Banksy's a street artist. Um, pretty political uh, commentary, social commentary. Really neat stuff. No one knows who Banksy is. Done a wonderful job of staying anonymous all these years. But there's a. I, saw, I remember seeing this billboard uh, about six months ago. It was like the un. What was it? The uh, unofficial Banksy exhibit. And since I've driven past the building, they've set it up, and you can't see inside. But really, it 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 philosophically got me wondering about this like. This idea, if someone is anonymous and they don't sell their art in galleries, like who owns this? Is it some, you know, tech startup guy from California who's bought up all this this art? You know, have they gone and taken it off the original walls that it was spray painted on, or the places that it was done? Are they photographs? But uh, it didn't really feel like it didn't feel good to me to go, and I haven't done any research about this I should but uh, I doubt any of the money's going to Banksy themselves and uh, yeah I just had this weird vibe about you know these these artists who don't want to be known who are putting it up you know out out in the environment for us to enjoy and then collectors coming in and making money off of it on the back end it, it, it felt like a knife to my, my punk DIY heart that there's an exhibit and so yeah we had this really lovely conversation about you know discovering street art in Paris and uh, going to the Louvre and you know kind of the experience of stumbling across a graffiti artist or an urban artist piece like walking down an alleyway and seeing something really good you know now it's kind of <clears throat> it's been branded and commodified in every gentrifying neighborhood hires muralists to come in and give the neighborhood that vibe and that that feel but it used to be that you'd just be walking down the alley and you'd see this beautiful work of art and it felt really special so like something about taking that you know these neighborhoods like there's one here near Larimer Street in Denver and it's it's cool you know you can go get good food they're good restaurants tons of beautiful art but it's just it's got this it just doesn't feel it just doesn't feel quite as authentic you know you, you have a moment with a piece of art and it could be in a museum you know um where you're like just blown away and it's transcendent and you know you to have that when you're just walking around and stumble across it is a really beautiful moment and i remember seeing some of those when i was walking around in europe i was like holy shit you know there's a there's a you know whoever uh uh met uh what's it Metroid Man, I think, is one of them. Anyhow, I'm probably getting that wrong, but anyhow, I stumbled across these things and I just went, oh, wow, you know, like, I had no idea. There's something really beautiful about those spontaneous moments that you can have with art, and I just felt really conflicted about this Banksy exhibit. Um, but talking about art, you know, and being in Europe and traveling for the first time uh, outside of this country and seeing how other cultures worked and how other uh you know the habits of different people in different countries and the customs you know it really i think it, it, it it's important if you have the capability 
you know, because it, it shows you that the way that you're conditioned in your culture or your country or your race or your class or your family or your gender or the way you're the way you're conditioned isn't universal you know that there there are tons of different ways to do it and uh last week i went on a pretty long rant about uh these abortion laws and it really got me thinking about you know like you know how do you <clears throat> what's the solution you know if if people are stuck in their ways if they believe what they believe you know how do you get outside of that because i've had the experience of being conditioned um you know i'm a human i was born in a human body you know i, I learned at a young age you don't touch hot things right that's a a pretty good example of you know basic conditioning you don't uh right you don't What's, what's something you do as a kid for the first time? Oh, you hop up and you sit on like the hood of a car in the summer. You know, before it was just a car, but all of a sudden it burns your back of your thighs when you're wearing your little shorts and you learn, oh, you know, I shouldn't hop up on the car. The car's like 10 times hotter than everything else because it's metal. You know, you don't understand that when you're five. It takes you burning the back of your thighs to learn that. So I think we all probably have a basic understanding of what conditioning is, um, you know, uh, a pretty easy example is like, you know, as a kid, kids really like dogs, you know, usually unless their parents have already conditioned them to be afraid of them. But, you know, you pass a dog on the street, just say, you, you know, you're, you're 15 years old and you've been walking around dogs and no problem and you're 15 and then the dog bites you, you know, you get, uh, you associate the bite with seeing dogs then every time you see dogs from then on you're conditioned to be a little bit afraid of dogs you know that's a pretty basic example of how we get conditioned um there's with social conditioning it's like you know like uh it's the social training we receive you know we're i've talked about this a lot on the podcast we're social creatures we need we need lots of things to feel safe right like we're not we're not very good in the wild just by ourselves you know, uh, one of my teachers in Sky Study, John Verbeke, says, you know, one human alone in the Sahara, in the you know, Serengeti, is pretty vulnerable. You know, you stand up above the grass, you can't really hide, you don't have any fur. You know, uh, you get you get a couple humans and a couple dogs, and you can take over an area of the of the land landscape. <clears throat> and so we need to come together to survive. And so social conditioning is like a huge part of who and what we are and uh it's the social training we receive it influences how we think right it i think in a conscious aware way you know sometimes we can be conscious of our social conditioning um you can be aware of it you know like nationalism i'm an american uh and it 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 influences how we act by using positive and negative reinforcement. And so positive and negative reinforcement pretty basically is like, uh, what's a good example of this? Uh, positive reinforcement. You have a warm and nurturing teacher, right? That that motivates students, right? You, uh, you go into school, you do your work, they're sweet, they're nice, you get social benefits, you get praise, you get all this stuff, and so students associate going to school with nice teachers and so they enjoy school they enjoy going there 
on the other side, harsh and strict teachers. I've talked about my experience with those guys. Um, they make you feel bad about yourself. They demotivate you. You associate just going to school with negative reinforcement, harsh teachers, critical feedback. So you feel bad about going to school. You know, it's pretty, pretty basic stuff, positive reinforcement. Uh, you know, your parents reward good behavior with love and affection, negative reinforcement. They beat you when you act out. Um, and this is this is like I can't stress I think the older I've gotten and the more I've done you know work with therapists self-inquiry contemplation you know basically there's this like matrix of social conditioning that I think is operating inside of all of us at any point and some of them we're aware of and then some of them are you know kind of in our subconscious or like uh you know, they're in our brains, but they're not in the forefront of our brains. So uh, I'll get into those more subtle ones a little bit later. Gender, uh, you know, there's all this talk right now about don't say gay. And, you know, some of that comes out like you can't teach um, books or show movies with gay characters in them in Florida, right? Because Republicans and conservative Christians believe that that's going to make people gay. Um, and they, you shouldn't teach sex, but sex is already being taught. You know, from the time you're five, you've seen a cartoon with a couple in it or people who are romantically interested or people who have cis heterosexual parents. So you're already being conditioned from a very young age to see that as normal. <clears throat> and, you know, most of, you know, having representation of what that means is just giving other people who are having different experiences the chance to see themselves in books and characters and so from a very young age we we start getting conditioned um you know and this is this is how this is i think you know when we were a less global society you know thousands of years ago this was you know incredibly important for us to stick together you know it's like the old saying uh me and my brother versus the world me and my me and my brother versus my cousin me and my brother and my cousin versus my neighbor me and my brother my cousin my neighbor versus the next tribe or the next village or whatever so there's this like there was this necessity to have cohesion within uh, social units for just the development our development as a species this is this really serves a function and I think one of the largest tasks we have as humans as we get older is to learn how to think for ourselves you know you can th probably think of a time when you were a kid and you went over to a friend's house and it was like the first time you realized that they did something differently uh, it's an example Oh, when I was really little, I, I, I was playing with a, a friend of mine named Nathan Bradley. And right, we were still of napping age. And I think we lived like, you know, within a half mile of one another. And I remember the first time I got to go over to Nathan's house, uh, Nathan got to take his naps in his jeans. Um, and I was just like, holy shit. I thought you had to like get in your underwear you had to like get your like you could wear your t-shirt but you couldn't wear your pants or maybe it was his cowboy boots i can't remember but nathan got to do something i didn't get to do and i was like holy shit nap time isn't what i thought it was and i like really wanted to go home 
and take a nap in my jeans or my boots. I was like, look. And, you know, my parent, you know, my mom, I think at the time was like, no, you can't. And we joke about this today. Mom, I love you. Um, <laughs> you know, she's like, I wish I would have just let you take your nap in your boots or whatever. But that was like, you know, the first time that I saw that the way that I was conditioned to think about naps wasn't the way that other families and so this this happens differently in each household in each city in each social group this is you know how we learn to think believe feel want and react in a way that is approved by society or groups within it you know so it's like it could be like society at large is like yeah don't murder people and then within smaller groups it's like oh you know complete nonviolence. you know you don't you know, if you went to a Buddhist retreat center, there are probably not a lot of people being sarcastic there, you know, like verbally violent or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and I just, yeah, I think all of us have an experience of, you know, when we were kids realizing that the way that our house did it was different than the way other houses did it. Like, uh, that's another example. I remember going over <clears throat> to my friend's house and I was like, I got hungry and he was like, yeah, we don't, we don't have snacks. And I was like, what? You know, my family, we didn't like, uh, we had for a while, we had some like routines with our meals, but for the most part, it was kind of like a free for all with food past a certain age. And I was like, you don't have snacks. How do you live without snacks? And I'm like, well, it made sense for them. They, their mom made breakfast, lunch, and dinner, stayed at home, wasn't working, you know, but like to my childhood mind, I was like, what, how do you even survive? Um, yeah, and so this social conditioning begins when we're infants, and <clears throat> it becomes more visible, you know, the older you get. It, it, takes, it takes repetition, right? You need the same message over time, and it could be something about, you know, it could be about diet, eating habits, religious beliefs. I mean, it's just sex. I mean, these social conditioning is basically this way I look at it is like this crazy matrix of like computer programming, you know, so we have like the hardware of our brain, which is like the physical mechanical mass. We've, it's made out of fat. It's got neurons and cells and blah, 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 blah. So you've got that and then you've got the social conditioning that you learn and then that kind of forms your brain and how it thinks. Um, I think next week I'll probably talk about neuroplasticity because I think that ties in pretty well. Um, but yeah, so when you know when you're a kid, you're just getting these messages, and they're subtle, right? Like because little kids are just information absorbing machines. You know, the amount of connections, their brains are working so hard; they're just constantly trying to understand the patterning of reality. You know, they come out and it's like blah. You know, like your eyes develop, your ears develop, and all of a sudden, you know, you start to understand, like, if I, if I cry, someone comes to get me. If I cry, no one comes to get me, and you slowly get conditioned, right? That's how early childhood trauma takes place, pre-verbal trauma, uh, pre-verbal attachment, like secure attachment with family and parents. And so, yeah, it, it, it but this process, and I think this is like where it gets really confusing, or can, is that this continues to happen over the course of our life. You know, all of these things that we're socially conditioned to believe 
they 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 mold evolve some of them just fall away you know like an example of them just falling away it's like i remember when i was younger i was like old people just don't give a fuck you know i just was like how that, that old dude just like picking his nose in the street or you know look at look at those people doing that thing and i was like you know but it was because my adolescent brain was still holding on to like the importance of like social presentation and wanting to be like seen a certain way so like some social conditioning like you get conditioned when you're a teenager to like you need to look a certain way and like that's all another form of conditioning right like media marketing advertising your family um but you need to present a certain way and then at some age you like see like you know it's i don't know maybe i'm like hitting that age 45 and i still like to dress nice i still like to look good but like you just kind of don't care you know like go outside in like a bathrobe and be like yeah whatever it's tuesday this is what i'm doing i'm taking my dog out in a bathrobe you know versus like when i was 20 i would have never done that i had to have on my coolest outfit and so some of these just like fall away um and we really you know you know some of them evolve like you get new information you you read something new or something you have a life event that requires you to evaluate what you believed or thought and you know this is a really neat thing about human beings is our brains are so malleable and you know neuroplasticity and the ability to change behavior and then actually like physically rewire your brain um, but, you know, like we can update our social conditioning, you know, and a great example of like our ability to do that is in, in this country, you know, I, I think just the most immediate example I can think of is like race. A hundred years ago, 200 years ago in this country, you know, certain people were seen as less human than white people, you know, BIPOC people weren't seen as human. And I'm not saying that we're done with the race issues in this country and that racism doesn't exist but we've our social conditioning around that has at least shifted enough to be like yes you are a human being you know which is pretty fucking basic if you think about it um but you know these these things can these things can mold and evolve and i think you know so often it's easy for us to get stuck in our routines, you know, like just fall back on what's easy, you know, and change and self-reflection is really challenging. But at some point I remember this, you know, like I just was like, well, shit, if I don't know, like, I want to be free, right? Like, freedom seems to be, like, a pretty universal human value. Like, we want to be free. We want to have autonomy to make our own decisions as long as we're not hurting other people. We want to have sovereignty over our own bodies, right? Like, we all have a fear of losing autonomy or losing our sovereignty. And I just remember being like, well, shit, if I... I don't know how I'm not free, right? Like if these things that I didn't even, you know, it wasn't like I, 
was in the waiting room, you know, before I was born. I was like, you know what I'm going to take? I'm going to take a, a little bit of, you know, puritanical guilt and shame. A little sprinkle of that in there. A little sprinkle of racism. Um, I'd like a sprinkle of self-doubt. I'd like a sprinkle of uh, insecurity. Uh, I'd like a sprinkle of unearned confidence because I was born tall and somehow people think that makes you special <laughs> you know like I didn't there was no it's like I just realized there were all these things that I had picked up that I that were running the ship that I didn't even know were in there and I, I got really curious about this and I think I think I was lucky because I somehow instinctually knew to move to places or surround myself with people where that was encouraged. You know, the, the, I moved out of the condition and you know, that was also a part of my social conditioning. You know, my parents, I think were both free thinkers in a lot of ways. Um, especially in contrast to the prevailing mentality of a lot of the people where I grew up. Um, I grew up in rural, rural Ohio. And there's a lot of like just get in line. There's a lot of a lot of like fall into place, you know, play football, play a sport. Uh, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Well, that's the law officer, you know, like I remember when I decided to start skateboarding. You know, I I shifted the way I dressed, you know, I was conditioned to dress preppy, you know, I remember I, this out, there's this picture of me, like, right before I started uh, changing my social conditioning, you know, where I was like, uh, I was, well, I'm going to rewind, before the picture, the same year the picture was taken, I was sitting at this table, and I remember, like, listening to couple of the girl it was like you know there was like in my school it was like seriously like an 80s movie it was crazy you know there was like the cool kids and the grits and the dirts and the jocks and you know like it was really silly and so there was like the popular table at lunch for each grade like the seniors had a popular table that fit 12 kids there the juniors had a popular table that fit 12 kids you know and it was like if you were in that table you were like safe right like because the teachers treated you different the coaches treated you different you know like you could tell by that age that like thing how things were shaking out you know for complying to social conditioning you know if i if i was like yeah i'm gonna play football coach yeah i'll be in class coach yeah i'm gonna wear these Eastlands and these plaid shorts with a, a collared polo tucked in and yeah I've got my braided leather belt and uh, my hair slicked over with gel in it and yes sir I'm ready to play some football you know like I just remember sitting at this table and so if there was like the A table of freshmen we were like the B table of freshmen and there were these girls who were cheerleaders but weren't quite A-level cheerleaders, right? They were on the cheerleading squad but they weren't cool enough to sit at the super cool table. And they were talking about, you know, all these other kids and all this shit. And I just remember like, you know, I was like into role-playing games. I, you know, I liked basketball. I was into like, yeah, I just, I wasn't I just didn't give a shit about what they were talking about. And it like became so apparent in the middle of this lunch. Like I was just like, I, I don't, 
I don't like this. I don't want to be conditioned in this way. And I wasn't like, you know, cognitively aware that I was being conditioned, but looking back on it, I was like, damn, I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to find some people that think like me. And I remember telling, like, because I had two friends who I'm still friends with this to this day, sitting at that table. I remember looking at him and being like, Matt and Chad, like, you know, I don't know if it was at lunch. It was the way memory works. But, like, some point I was like, guys, I'm, I'm not going to sit at this table anymore. I'm going to go do something else, you know, like. And I remember seeing the skaters and, like, being like, those guys look cool. <laughs> you know, like, they look like they're on. They look like they're into some cool shit, you know. And, like, lo and behold, I found my first group of friends besides those two, you know, those two friends we've been free thinking since we were in like sixth grade together but like I found a group of friends where it was like discovering who you were and being different and like not being quote unquote normal was encouraged and so like I think I've been lucky in my life to A. be supported by a mom who was always like yeah go do you boo you know it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always straightforward. But it, there was no, there was never not support in my curiosity about this experience in the human body. My mom's like, "Yeah, you want to go sign up for clown school? Do it, hon." Um, so that I think having that support, and then also like, just the fun. Like I just from a young age, I just couldn't suffer fools well. You know, like I just really struggled. I was like, Jesus Christ, you don't even know what is going on in your own brain. Like, and I, you know, not to say I always do, but like, I just remember from a young age, I was like, I'm going to go figure out this thing. And so, you know, surrounding yourself with people who encourage self-exploration and inquiry and who are okay with change, you know, the, the change of me becoming a skater basically led me to leaving uh, that whole fr friend group that I took in from middle school, but also I had a group of friends uh, from the church I was attending at the time. And, you know, slowly they treated me differently. I started, you know, acting differently, probably. You know, I remember asking questions at church groups like, you know, if, if the Bible's a sacred book, why are you using it as a coaster? You know, like I just free thinking became my norm and then I lost that group of friends and I remember you know I want to say all that to acknowledge like how hard breaking free of your conditioning can be you know that there's this thing that's pretty well understood inside of uh, recovery whether it's like you know one person whether it's drugs and alcohol you know so say you know alcoholic families make alcoholic kids basically and so if some person inside of the family, say it's like a five-member family, say some person quits drinking and starts going to therapy and starts looking at their own mind and healing, that disrupts the conditioning of the whole group. And so for the person in recovery, they get a lot of support from their support team being like, yeah, of course your mom or dad or sister or cousins or aunts or uncles are freaking out because you're doing something out of the norm you're breaking the social conditioning of your family and that's really disruptive right because that ties into all of our old fears and really uh 
questions the authority of those kinds of things, you know, because social conditioning, this is the kind of thing, like, and I think this is a beautiful part of, you know, once you kind of get past the fear of looking at some of this stuff, is you realize that, like, there's no, you know, it's like the mature thought, there's really nobody to blame, right? Because social conditioning is passed on, you know? So I think about the social conditioning siren action in the city this morning classic Denver <laughs> um, body image is a great one so when my grandmother was raised she was conditioned to believe she needed to look a certain way right period that was it you need to get married to have a husband and to get that husband you need to have a certain set of skills or you need to look a certain way you need to be able to do housework chores cook um, and you also need to you know basically your biggest asset is how you look so that's how my grandmother was raised so my grandmother was conditioned by her parents right because we had a different idea around sex and gender and feminism and you know equal opportunity for employment I mean shit my mom couldn't get a bank account when my parents moved there in Ohio by herself in the in the 80s in the early 80s like you know just to give you some context and so you know the world was different everyone was socially conditioned different around gender and so that conditioning that my grandmother received about her body and the importance of appearance was passed on to my mother my mother has a relationship with that and my mother has her own relationship with that conditioning, but that conditioning was then passed on to my sister and I around our appearance, whether it was weight or acne or hair loss or blah, 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 blah. There's really no one to blame with social conditioning. These are like the ancestral set of values that have been passed on and it's like the first they're the first computer programs your brain receives as a kid and then you go out into the world you realize there's other programs out there you're like well, shit i don't like this program i'm gonna do this other program you know like in your 20s you're just like especially in america you're like going wild like i'm gonna try it all and then, you know um and so i think that's a beautiful aspect of examining your social conditioning is that you realize that there's really no blame so it creates compassion and empathy for other people who you know say it's a social conditioning like around body image so capitalism to like expand it out of the family gave the example of my family but then even outside of that right that that prevailing sentiment of what a woman should look like or a man should look like i remember feeling so much pressure when I was a teenager, to look like Marky Mark or Kate Moss, you know, like needed to have the chiseled six pack or like be super skinny, you know, like so then you get the conditioning from society. We elevate those people, so our brains think, okay, well, to be happy, I should look like that, or to get what I want, I should look like that. And then your whole framework for how you relate to your own body changes because of social conditioning. And so it's like it's not an easy game, you know. I think. You know, I want to, everyone listening to this, please, like, this is a, this is a long, this is like the end game, right? Like, this is, for me, it's about freedom, mental, spiritual, physical freedom. I want to experience that in this lifetime. I don't want to be shackled by anything, you know, 
remember reading stories about people who like became enlightened in prison it's like where you have the least freedom you still have the potential to be free inside of your own experience um and so like that process and my experience of it and everything i read getting ready for this week's podcast is like a lot of people don't do it because it is super challenging it, it, it touches our fears, right? Like to disrupt what your family believes risks you getting kicked out of the group. You know, even small little things, small little shifts where you're like, oh, I realized I don't want to, like, what's an easy example here? Triangulation. Okay, so triangulation in a family is where you never talk directly to the person who upsets you. This is easy to research information if you want to go out and look up triangulation. Um, <clears throat> but I remember when I, I learned about it when I was uh, in my mid-30s, I was like, holy shit, my family does that all day. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like if, let's, if I've got an issue with my sister, I never talk to her about it, I talk to my mom about it. And then my mom somehow you know may or may not talk to my sister but no one's ever talking directly say my sister uh fucking didn't come over on tuesday when she said she would and i'm like damn dude you know like you said you were going to come over and help me you know whatever move this couch and she doesn't show up but she doesn't tell me then text late at night oh i'm sorry i was sleeping and i'm like damn really pissed but instead of saying hey dude you know it really makes me sad or i'm really pissed at you for not showing up i was counting on you to move that couch uh it, triangulation is when you would go talk to you know your mom or your other sibling or your dad or whoever <clears throat> this can ha this happens in friend groups but basically um that was a way that i was conditioned and so something an example of something that can be potentially disruptive to the, the family unit or a friend group or relationships is to be like, hey, I'm not going to do that anymore. If you have a problem with that person, I would appreciate it if you talk to them about it. Because this feels a bit like gossip to me. It doesn't really feel like, you know, I noticed in myself with healing that, I'm like, well, then I would get wound up about who I thought, you know, the other person was. And it's just not, it didn't feel like a, a straightforward way to do it. And I think you know, there's tons of reasons why that happens in friend groups or alcoholic family systems. Like, it might not be safe. You know, like if you have an alcoholic dad, it may not be safe to talk to him about the things he did. So you talk to your mom or your sister. You know, there, there are reasons why this gets set up. There are reasons why it's challenging to make changes around this. It does take time. It does take effort. There's like so many skills. Um, but for me... You know, it was always like in the back of my head, the, the, the price, the price of truth or freedom is everything, you know? And so like at some point, and this is continuing to evolve, you know, it's like you do one scary thing and then you like fall back then you do another scary thing then it feels okay to do the scary thing all the time. It's like it, these changes happen by small measure, you know, because these messages we received, like in the triangulation example, it's like, I was doing that shit into my 30s, you know, like I've got neural, hardwired brain 
neural pathways that are more used to doing that than directly confronting the person that upset me. And so it takes time. You do it once and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And it feels like you're going to die and you're freaking out and you're in your brainstem and you're in a trauma response. You're like, I'm going to be kicked out of the group. And then you're like, holy shit, wait, I'm going to use some cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not a five-year-old. I'm not dependent upon these people for food. I can pay my bills. I can take care of myself. No one is harming me right now. I did something scary. My brain and my nervous system is having a response to that. You know, and so like I see why people don't do it. And if you don't want to do any of this and you're like, oh, this is dumb, don't do it. Like I'm not here to tell anyone how to live their life. I just, in my experience, it, it's created more compassion for other people's conditioning, you know, like traveling to another country and seeing how they live. You know, it opens up your mind, you know, going to a friend's house, seeing how they live. It it allows you to understand that You know, all these experiences are valid. It's just like, you know, like with racism, like, it's like how much is your conditioning hurting other people, right? Like in this country, the conditioning of blacks and whites not being equal and whites being able to physically harm blacks or kill blacks or lynch blacks, it's like at some point that hit like a, a critical level in our society. We're like, no, this is not okay. You can't be running around lynching people, you know, and not to say it hasn't evolved and changed and that race, like systemic racism is super real, but like at some point it hits this tipping point where you're like, no, this, the way we would condition is just hurting too many people. And I think, you know, that's a lot of, you know, when I was trying to come up with this podcast and thinking about my rant last week, you know, I was eventually able to get to a point where I was like, oh, shit, you know, maybe what's going on there? You know, if I was in a small town in wherever, Idaho, you know, hundreds of miles between me and the next town, and everyone in that town is Christian, and everyone in that town believes that as soon as a fucking sperm goes into an egg, that that's a human. And that's that, you know, their spiritual leaders aren't using the Bible or scientific logic. The value system and the social conditioning is that that is the way the world is. You're murdering a human. And those people also are socially conditioned to believe that heaven and hell are real, you know, that so to think differently, to risk getting kicked out of that group feels like death, you know. And so why wouldn't you believe you know, why wouldn't you be pro-life? You know, and I'm not excusing this or trying to be like, yeah, we should just let them be. No, we should definitely have abortion rights. But I think understanding your own social conditioning gives you patience with other people. It allows you to engage in more thoughtful dialogues around around your beliefs, you know, if you can listen to somebody else and be and like, you know, honestly empathize and be like, oh, wow, you know, that must have been hard for you. You know, like we're conditioned in so many ways. Like I have my own specific brand of Colby conditioning. You've got your own specific brand of conditioning, you know, from your parents, 
from your friends, from your country, from your gender, from your race, from your class. You know, we learn this in movies. We learn this just watching kids on the playground. Popular culture, you know. Um, diet and how we eat, you know. You know, social conditioning around food. You know, diet culture in America. I mean, that's huge. And, uh, you know, you can, in my experience of this, it's like you can only fight one fight at a time. You know, if you're like trying to deconstruct one thing, don't try to do the whole thing. Your brain will fry. You know, there is a mechanistic physiological component to this where your brain needs time to like rest after making new connections or new pathways or having new insights this takes time it takes rest and it's like you know the society doesn't support any of that so if you don't have time to do this or it's too much don't worry about it i just wanted to put this out there because for me it's been one of the most freeing and liberating journeys of my life is to really look at my my conditioning you know, to really take a look at how my parents shaped how I see the world, how my town helped how I see the world, how books I've, you know, all these things. And I don't, this, I don't think this is like, you know, maybe enlightenment, you're just totally free of this. I don't, in my experience, it's not like something you escape, like it's still going to be there, you know, like I don't walk into the grocery store and just take what I need, you know, because I've been conditioned to not steal, you know, through threat of punishment, negative reinforcement, you know, social shame, class shame around that. Like there's so many, this is like social conditioning is necessary for the functioning of society, but it's also in my mind how we oppress people, how we see people as other, you know, and why I do this podcast is to tie back to those things that connect us, you know, like we're all afraid of being kicked out of the herd you know we're all afraid of dying alone we're all afraid of ego death or separation and we do lots of things to hold on so that we don't have to experience those fears and when you're in the middle of one of them they feel as real as you know imminent death it's like a panic attack for anybody who's had one of those it could be completely logically irrational, but it feels like death. You know, you're not going to be able to logically talk somebody out of a panic attack ever. It's not how the nervous system works. Um, and going on this journey for myself, honestly, it's it's let me. It's like the whole argument of like nature versus nurture. I remember when I was in college, I read uh is it absalom absalom that's like a huge theme in there like whether we're naturally like you know are you who you are or are you trained to be who you are and to me you know i think that there's like a higher high 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 percentage of nurture there like we're conditioned to be who we are but there is like i want to i think also at the same time like we're each individually like each baby's fucking different like there's a personality in there i want to get to you know i hear this in spiritual communities my authentic self and i think the more that i do this work 
the closer I feel to what I would say is my authentic self. You know, my authentic self, you know, like capitalism is a perfect example. We're conditioned to think that you work 40 hours a week, you do all your chores and shit on the weekends, you run your kids to soccer practice, you get married, you have a cis-heterosexual, heteronormative relationship, you get your health care, you get your benefits, you do all that till you're 65, you get a few years off at the end on the backside, and then you die. You know, we're conditioned to think that productivity equals a meaningful life. I'm going to say that again. We have been conditioned to think that productivity equals a meaningful life. But we all know that you don't get to take any of this shit with you. You don't. You know, the pharaohs, we look at, you know, the Bronze Age societies that would, like, bury people with all their shit, and we're like, what? You know, like... Do you really think that you're in some afterlife with a fucking pot of gold that's going to help you with something? Like, as far as we can tell, you can't take any of this. So the idea that productivity equals a meaningful life. I'm not saying productivity doesn't feel good, you know? Like, if I do a bunch of shit around my place and I'm into it and I got the music popping at the end of the day, I'm like, damn, that was awesome. If I wake up the next day and I'm a little tired and I don't feel like doing shit, I feel this sense of conditioned guilt still you know i've been i've tried to step out of the hustle it's been like five years now and i still have this conditioned sense of guilt you know but the longer that i do this the more areas i'm able to look at it's like it gets faster too you're like oh yeah that's a, some of them are easier to let go of like a you know like oh it's an easy one it's an easy example of something that I've realized was conditioning that was just like easy to let go of. Um, yeah, what's I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm drawing the drawing a blank on an easy one that's like easy to let go of. Um, oh, that I'm not cool if I drink Starbucks. That's an easy one. Like hipsters, like there's a million cool coffee shops and. You know, there's all a bunch of coffee snobs, and it's like, you know, if you drink Starbucks, you're a bad person. It's like, you know, I just, one day I was like, fuck this. I'm, I, it's convenient some days I'm drinking Starbucks, whatever. You know, it has nothing to do with who I am socially. It doesn't have anything to do with my beliefs. I needed a cup of coffee. I drove past fucking Starbucks. I'm drinking a Starbucks. Some of them are easy, you know. It's like, it's like any... It's like learning math, you know? It's like the more fluent you get in math or the more fluent you get in any skill, it's like the easier it is to do this. So like becoming self-aware, you know? Like, oh, this is a good question, Colby. How do you do this? Um, I've always got this special ed teacher in the back of my brain when I'm talking, making sure that everybody's following along. Um, yeah. Cultivate mind, mindfulness. You know, you, you cultivate... I think there's this shift that happens, you know, and I think it developmentally happens for a large portion of people in the early 30s in America where you start to become 
like truly self-aware where you're like oh shit i've god what, what's an easy one i've been doing you know oh i've been okay here's a i've been going out every night before work and then work sucks the next day maybe if i don't go out before work work won't suck the next day i'm the one causing work to suck work doesn't naturally suck I'm doing things. So you become self-aware of your own behavior and you start to, at some point, cultivate this ability to witness yourself, which is super surreal because it's like the thing you're using to witness yourself is the thing witnessing itself. It gets really obscure. There's lots of philosophers who've written about that, but I don't want to get lost there. But so you, you, you know, you start to witness different sides of yourself. You start to witness... Uh, behaviors, how those behaviors typically lead to emotions or feelings or how it affects other people. And you start to be able to kind of observe yourself in real time. And, you know, this, this ability is, the skill can be, I think most people can learn this skill, right? There's obviously neurodivergent people and sociopaths out there malignant narcissists but or addicts or you know there, there's a, a portion of the population that this is pretty hard for or maybe impossible but for most of us we can learn this skill and you learn it by you know you can talk to a therapist you know there's huge social conditioning each family each society culture class race has tons of hang-ups about mental health or blah 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 that's all social conditioning but you can receive you can support to learn how to be aware of your own thoughts you know talk to a therapist you can read books you can research you can join a support group uh, you can travel you know and just start to get examples that not everybody thinks feels and behaves the same way you do you know, so you can do that. You can meditation and yoga, like getting back in touch with your body. I think, you know, in this country, a lot of us are disconnected or raised to be disconnected from our bodies for lots of reasons. And so like physical activity, yoga, and, you know, finally meditation, just sitting for 10 minutes with your own brain to watch it do what it does, to learn how it works to observe it without judgment. Um, so I think there are lots of ways that you can cultivate this skill of self-awareness that allows you to begin to witness how your conditioning affects you. You know, I think without, you know, this takes deep intrapersonal personal work. You know, you have to be kind of dedicated to getting to know how you think. And for me, you know, what other... I don't know who else am I going to get to know. I'm, I live with me forever. I, I, I every there. I'll see friends, and I, I sometimes I get I get tripped out about this. It's like you know I've got all these relationships. I talked to two people today, but I spent eighty percent of my time with me today. You know, I mean, who better to get to know? Who better to like do nice things for and try to understand and 
you know, I don't, I think this is like kind of the criticism of woke, woke culture, you know, people who are like so far on the end of like, I'm so self-aware about like all this conditioning and your gender and your race and like, you know, so, so woke. I think there's like a far end of that perspective where like then that can be a whole new identity and a whole new set of social conditioning. So you really just swapped out one costume for another. Um, but like the internal experience of how you, at least for me, how I experience the world is so fundamentally different the more that I've done this and the more that I've gotten to understand why and how things affect me, uh, how they lead to behaviors, thoughts, or beliefs. You know, so much of that comes from social conditioning. Um, so much of that comes from social conditioning. So, I hope that uh, hope this was helpful. I do really, 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 really believe that it it it's a, a beneficial endeavor to embark on, and uh, going slow helps the process. I used to just kind of go at this, you know, wildfire style, and I've I've slowed down quite a bit the older I've gotten. Um, but I just I know that I don't want to be fucking stuck in my ways when my ways don't make sense anymore you know I, I look at this the generation of boomers and it's it seems to me that the inability you know that there's they feel really disconnected from society and what what i'm going through what younger people are going through um and I don't want that, you know, like I don't want to be so set in my ways that I'm on an island of Jerry. I'm on geriatric island when I'm older, you know, because this world and the social conditioning is going to continue to evolve. Like that is that is just I have there's no evidence to the contrary in any history book. This is going to continue to evolve and like it's either you're part of the, the self-awareness around this you know, you're on that boat or you're you're moving to geriatric island where you're just going to be like, you know what? My grandpa told me if you don't put the fork, the fork on the left side of your, your soup before you eat it with a spoon on the right, you know, if your fork's next to your spoon, that, uh, that, uh, you hate Jesus, right? You know, like, I mean, they're fucking, like, it, it's just, I don't want to be stuck in an absurd, outdated set of, beliefs around how society works you know that's just me i want to i want to be a part of this life and this you know 15 year olds today are going to be doing shit and making changes when i'm 60 and i want to at least have a brain that is like ready and prepared for that because and not like this is the way you do it because i've never seen any evidence right like uh that that's absolutely necessary you know, there's lots of things that I'm really grateful to my grandparents about that they taught me that aren't necessary anymore. They may have been necessary for them or their parents. They may have helped here and there, but if you don't examine them, you're just doomed to, doomed to, you know, suffer the way past generations have suffered, cause suffering for others, and I don't want that, so... That was my little spiel about social conditioning. I hope you all enjoyed that one. Back to a little bit more level-headed podcast after the fervor 
of uh, last week's podcast. I hope uh, I hope this one finds you well. If you're if you're looking to support the podcast and you want to become a monthly patron, go to patreon.com, www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones. Become a monthly patron, donate five, ten bucks a month. That really helps out. If you can't, don't worry about it. I'm looking into other ways that people can make one-time donations because Patreon doesn't allow that. Uh, but that gets a little tricky for me with taxes and stuff. So if you are feeling called to support this, support other people who can't afford it, who listen, uh, head over to Patreon, head over to my website, turningofthebones.com. And uh, hope you have a beautiful day. Pet a dog. Look at a bird. Hug a tree. Uh, take a walk. I don't know. It's lovely. It's spring. Hope you're doing, doing, why not? I don't hope. I know you're doing the best you can, so keep it up, take care of yourselves, and be Turning of the bones. Bye now. <laughs>